This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 258, The Adventure of Fly Fishing with John Hogans. Hi friends, thank you for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast today. You know, as much as we love creating the Adventure Sports Podcast for you, it's not a hobby show for us. Candidly, your support is needed to keep the show financially viable. Will you help support the Adventure Sports Podcast by becoming a member? To say thanks, we've arranged for you to save hundreds of dollars through discounts with outdoors-related vendors. Dozens of deals are waiting for you. We have backpacking food, we have chocolates, we have guided trips, we have adventure travel, we have uh, photography art, we have motorcycle supplies, we have all sorts of stuff on the member site waiting for you. Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click the blue button on the right. Thank you in advance for your support and for helping us to keep the adventures coming to you. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. I have a fly fisherman with us today, and I know some of you are going to say, fly fishing? Is that an adventure sport? But I have said on previous shows, I argue it is an adventure sport because of the amazing way it gets you out into nature and the adventure travel that you can have with it and how it encourages people to get into the backcountry to do a lot of things. It's just an alternative way to encounter nature and have amazing adventures. And so we're going to explore that today with John Hogan's. John grew up in San Diego, California. He spent several years in Sacramento. He had a brief stay in Colorado and Kansas, but now he's in Texas in a town called Woodway. And the reason I bring that up is he is an avid fly fisherman in Texas. So a lot of fly fishermen out there think trout cold water fish, you know, rushing streams. Well, John learned to fly fish that way, but he took his love for fly fishing to Texas and now does warm water fly fishing. And he has a lot to tell us about that that might open up the sport to a whole lot of you who don't have access to those cold water streams. So that's a long intro there, John, but welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Curtis. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited to have you here to talk about fly fishing, the adventurous side of it, and to get a little bit more in-depth. I mean, I think this warm water fly fishing is fascinating because not everybody lives in a cold water climate. But we'll come back to that. Right. For starters, how did you get started fly fishing? So I'm 50 years old, and back when I was um, in, in grade school, I was like 11 or 12 years old, my dad took me on a float trip on the Madison River up in Montana. And previously, I had not been fly fishing, just regular rod and reel. My dad had been. He, he'd been fishing since the 60s, uh, fished all up through the Sierras, the eastern Sierras, Hot Creek and Bishop. Um, anyways, we, we went on a trip to, to, uh, to Montana, um, a three- or four-day trip. And I was hooked. Um, it was just an amazing experience. I still have the, you know, those vivid images 
of going down the river on the on the on the big float boats and 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 catching fish um, that seemed bigger than I was. Oh, yeah. And you know, getting back home, um, all I could think about from then then on was when our next trip would be and where we could go fishing next. So, yeah, I guess you know, nearly nearly forty years of fishing, of fly fishing. <laughs> That's awesome. So then I assume that you and your dad did a lot more fly fishing in California. Yeah, so we didn't do much saltwater or warm water fishing around San Diego. We would typically plan for a trip in the summers. Uh, he, was a, he was a professor at a local college, San Diego Mesa College. And in the summers, of course, you know, we'd have some time off and we would plan big trips somewhere whether it was to Montana, uh, Colorado, up, the, up, the, um, up into the Sierras. Uh, always plan at least one big trip backpacking or, or, or um, packing in with horses or, or something every year. And, you know, just plan and plan for it the, the rest of the year and, and enjoy it while we could during that, that week or two that we were out on the, out on the water. See, that's a perfect example of why I say that fly fishing is an adventure sport. Mm-hmm. So some people, you know, they have the the iconic view of the guy standing knee-deep in waders, and, and he's got this beautiful line arced out over his head, and it's a peaceful scene, and maybe the guy's 65 years old, and people are saying, yeah, that's what I'm going to do someday when I can't do this other stuff. And I right. just feel like that image, while it's accurate, is not accurate because fly fishing has become a young person's sport, and it leads people into such amazing adventures to connect with nature. It's not that that kind of river runs through it scene necessarily, unless you're talking about the one where the guy's swimming down the rapids with a fish on the line. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, well, hopefully that doesn't happen too often, you know. Um, but right, it, it gives you the chance to get out into areas that that typically other people aren't. Um, it's something to do when you go camping or, or hiking or, or such. It's a destination or an activity along the way. Right. Um, some of the most incredible spots that that I've seen have been on a fly fishing trip and, and getting out away from the roads and the people and the 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 others and experiencing, you know, everything from the quietness of nature and the ripple of the stream to to seeing wildlife that that you typically wouldn't wouldn't ever see um you know moose and bear bobcats um i mean you name it you see you, you'll never know what you're going to see uh, especially in areas like yellowstone or or the upper sierras and it's just it, it is a wonderful experience yeah yeah i couldn't agree more and john you and i spoke earlier you know that I fly fish with, with my mm-hmm. guys, my sons, and one son in particular is a, just an avid fly fisherman. Man, is he good. Daniel is, is amazing. Um, but we always take the fly rods when we go backpacking, and for me, it's a backpacking trip. That's just where I'm focused. For Daniel, right. it's a fishing trip Yeah, <laughs> that he goes yeah, backpacking Yeah, I understand on. that. <laughs> and, but that's great because it works. So, you know, we, we have so much fun doing that, and it's such an easy thing to throw a, a lightweight fly rod in your pack yeah. 
And you have entertainment and camp that way, but you might also have food that you can add to that dehydrated food you had to eat on the trail along the sure. way. And so I just think it's a wonderful complement to uh, getting out into nature in any way that you want to do it. Matter of fact, this is one we haven't done yet, but we're planning is a, a mountain biking trip where we bike into areas to go fly fishing. We think that oh, would be a, that'd be a fun way to go about it because you can just go so much farther and deeper, you know, quickly right. on a bike. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah. All we're right. Do is that, that. Is that uh, in, in Colorado? Is that where you're planning? Well, yeah, Colorado is, is our target because that's home for us. But I imagine that people could do that in lots of places. It's just a matter of finding the right mountain biking trail that goes near water. Yeah. And then goes far enough that it's worthwhile, you know. There's actually here in, in Woodway, we're part of Waco, and Lake Waco um, has a bunch of little parks around it with some great mountain biking trails. And surprising, you know, right in the middle of Texas, you can't believe there'd be mountain biking trails, but there there's some great ones. And and one in particular falls along a little stream that dumps down into into Lake Waco, and white bass will will shoot up the river, um, largemouth, bluegill, all kinds of warm water fish like to run up that river. And just like you're saying, you can take your mountain bike and kind of cruise around down through there and stop along the way and fish and just have a blast. Uh, it's, it's, it's combining the two sports, mountain biking and, and fly fishing. It, it, it's a lot of fun yeah, for sure. Yeah, I even saw a video of a couple of guys that were cross-country skiing into their fly fishing. And I thought, yeah. there's another way. You know, it, yeah. it is a winter sport. People think of fishing as a summer sport, but if the water's flowing, you can fish it. Fish don't hibernate. They continue to move and eat. So as long as they're active, you can catch them. Yeah, absolutely. I found in the wintertime, when the water's really cold, sometimes you almost have to hit them in the nose with your fly yeah. before they're going to you know, make any effort to grab it, but they're still there and it adds a little added challenge to it. But hey, we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves because I want to talk about what fly fishing is. So we have a lot of listeners that know what fly fishing is. We have some avid fly fishing listeners who could, you know, tell us how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but there are other people who have never done it before and they're like, well, what's the different difference between a fly rod and a regular casting rod? And why would I do one versus the other? Right. So I think for, you know, maybe breaking it down to the, to the warm water fishing, um, you know, typically guys who are going after freshwater bass, largemouth bass, which is a, probably the most common warm water species that, that people go after, you're hunting these, these fish with, with pretty large lures, uh, whether they're plastic or soft plastic or hard plastic. Um, and you know that's that's the idea is that the bigger the 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 lure, kind of the bigger the fish you're going to catch. Um, it's an aggressive sport. You're using you know nearly twenty pound test line, the the strength of the line. Um, whereas with fly fishing for bass, it's it's a little bit uh, I don't want to say delicate, but it is a, just a different technique with it where you're you're trying to get their attention with a lighter, smaller lure, um, lighter weight line. Um, it's, it's definitely 
similar. You're trying to catch a fish, but it's just with the equipment is a little bit different. And there's a lot more um, finesse involved. You're trying to get the fly right there in front of the fish and, and simulate the natural movement of whether it's a, a streamer or or a, a topwater popper, which might simulate like a frog or, or a bug on top of the water. And you're trying to accurately, you know, portray this, this insect or this, this bug in the water to get the, get the, get the fish to get his attention and get his excitement to it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting when you, when you think about the differences between the two sports and yet they do combine quite often. I'll say that because my, my youngest son, he loves to bass fish using plastics um, and, and just your regular rod and reel style fishing. And he is a great fisherman. Um, but there are occasions where he's not catching them and he will switch to a fly. And for whatever reason, a small fly or, or something that maybe is simulates something that they they've been eating or, or that is hatching in the area and boom, start catching them. Um, and if I knew exactly when and what that was, Curtis, you know, and how that happens, um, boy, I'd, I'd be a millionaire, but it, it just, for whatever reason, sometimes that fly fishing is, is, is on and, and that's what the bass want. Um, but anyways, that, I don't know if that, that yeah, answers the good. question. Or no, that's great. I think what I'm picking up from what you're saying there is that when you're, when you're fishing with a regular rod and reel, often you're trying to flash something at the fish. Sometimes you're even trying to make it angry. So it attacks your, yeah. your lure. It's yeah. not really, this is a natural thing. It's more of a, I'm in your face and I'm flashing and you're angry about it and you're territorial and you're going to come after it. But when you throw very, a fly out real. there with a fly rod, now you're trying to say, this is the food you eat. This is what yeah. you're looking for every day. And you're trying That's to right. make it look natural and match what's going on in the, in the local ecosystem with those fish. That's right. That's, that's different. It is different. And if you ever have the chance to get in the water, get under the water and watch a bass or, or a bluegill or something eat or, or, or chase after a fly, um, it, it, it helps kind of give you the understanding of, of what or how they see it. And any kind of wrong movement that you put into the fly, uh, unnatural movement, they'll lose attention. And every time you throw that same fly back to them, they, they'll know instantly, hey, that's not real. But if, mm. if you throw the fly in there and, you know, get it to have the natural movement of whatever bug or worm or whatever it is that you're um, imitating and, and man, you can see them. They just, they look at it and they can see it. You see it computing in their mind that, Hey, that, that's, that's food. Okay. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Yep. That's food. Bam. They're on. And, <laughs> and to see that in the water, you know, and one of the great things about being in Texas when, you know, late spring, early summer, the water temperatures, upper seventies, um, low eighties and, you know, geez, like bath water practically. Uh, it is a lot of fun to get in the water and watch the fish going after flies. We do it many times where we don't even <laughs> put a hook on. You know, just tie a fly and put it on a string, 
and a stick or whatever and throw it out there. It sounds silly now I'm talking about it, but it is a lot of fun. And you learn to see how the fish react to the fly, see what, what their interest is and, and how the behavior of the fly in the water will, will get their attention. Yeah, that's so. really cool. You know, just to kind of substantiate what you're saying there, I went fishing up in Rocky Mountain National Park, I guess it was two summers ago, but there was a tiny little trout, a little brook trout, and he wasn't interested in anything. <laughs> so I tied about five or, or six, maybe more, different types of flies onto my tippet and tried to get this guy's attention. And he would yeah. see it land on the water, and if I had the the right technique, which I still work on, and got it to land the right way, he'd come up to it, but then he'd go away again. Right. And so most people would say, well, the fish aren't biting. But I had heard from my son, no, no, you just have to do the right thing. I finally put the right fly on that line, threw it out there, and bang, he grabbed it. But yeah. it probably took me yeah. 45 minutes to attract <laughs> one tiny, he's only six inches long, <laughs> you know, but I thought right. that was fun. Yes. That was fun. That is, that's part of the, the sport of it. The, it's it, the adventure of it. The, the treasure hunting of it, you know, is being able to do that and, and to get the fish to finally bite and, yeah. and catch them. And, and like you said, it's six inches. At least you, you see them. And a lot of people say, what the heck are you doing catching a six inch fish? But it's, it's, it's all of it combined, right? It's not just being able to throw something out there and catching them. You know, you can do that with a net or whatever. It's, it's part of that, that experience of watching the fish look at the lure as it's going by or the fly as it's going by, kind of seeing in his mind, you know, what is he thinking? What is he looking at? What is he? And then that gives you the next time. Okay, well, he, he didn't, he kind of came up to it, but then he swam away. So maybe this time I'm going to twitch it a little and see if that sparks his interest. Or like you said, tie in another fly that, you know, that really gets his attention. So, man, a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt. So describe the difference between just regular rod and reel casting versus line casting with a fly rod. That's a big difference, too. Yeah, right. So line casting with a fly rod, you're using the weight of the line itself as opposed to when you're when you're um, regular rod and reel, you're using the weight of the lure or added weight you know, next to the lure to throw it out there. With a fly rod, the line itself that you use up until the, the end, about seven feet away from the end where your fly is, is weighted and has, has, a, has mass. So when, you, when you're throwing the line or when you're casting the line, the rod is loading up with that, with that mass and flinging it out. And that's what sends the line, the leader, the tippet, the fly out into the water. Um, so yeah, there's some mechanics involved. There's some physics involved that you, you have to kind of get set to. However, it, it's, it's, it's also as simple as a roll cast where you just stick your rod straight up, straight up in the air and kind of push it out forward. And that momentum flings the line and the lure out into the water. There's all kinds of different techniques to, to fly, to fly fishing or to the, the art of casting. Those different techniques come in handy when you're in different places. Like if you're in a, a, a creek or in a stream bed, 
that has a lot of brush, brush or trees along the sides, and you can't get a big long cast going, or or um, you have to watch your back cast. Then a, a roll cast, or or just being able to flick the fly out, uh, you know, is important to learn how to do. Um, so all those different techniques that you have to learn and and understand it. it to to a fisherman, to a to someone who wants to enter the sport of fly fishing, you know, they think or they see on YouTube, you know, all these different techniques and all these different styles and ways of doing things can be pretty intimidating. But the basics of it is very simple. And, you know, kids pick it up really quickly, um, I think. And it's something that if you practice a few minutes in your backyard or out on a pond somewhere, you're, you're good to go. It doesn't take very long. It takes a while to master some of the techniques um, and to keep from getting your line, you know, in a crow's nest, which I still do all the time. But it, 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 um, it's something that you can learn quite quickly and, and start fishing right away, without a doubt. It's nothing that you should be, be intimidated by, by any means. Colorado Mountain Club members get the most out of the Colorado summers. We summit 14ers, enjoy relaxing fly fishing excursions, climb thousand foot rock faces, backpack through wilderness areas, explore the culture of Europe, raft through the Grand Canyon, and so much more. The Colorado Mountain Club teaches you the skills you need to safely maximize living in such an awesome outdoor playground, as well as connects you to thousands of other adventure-loving mountaineers. Founded in 1912, the Colorado Mountain Club acts as a gateway to the mountains for novices and experts alike. It's the perfect time to sign up for a membership. For more information, go to cmc.org. That's cmc.org. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. fishing with my grandparents and as a little kid it was always a bobber with a worm hanging on the bottom of it you know <laughs> with with a hook and and as a little kid I looked at that and I'd watch that bobber for about 60 seconds I thought an hour had gone by and I'm ready to do something else <laughs> that's know? right but then I started using lures and, and cast fishing with a regular rod and reel and that was mm-hmm. a lot more fun because it was more active I could throw it out there and reel it back in 
But then after a while, that starts to feel pretty common too, you know. But when I tried fly fishing for the first time, I realized, wow, that just the casting itself is so much more elegant and elaborate that it created a whole new challenge to the sport. I mean, this may be silly, but it's kind of like rolling the perfect bowling ball to get a strike. The perfect cast is elusive. Now, you can get the line out there without a lot of training, but to get that perfect cast with the right presentation at the right place in the water where you know that fish is, that's that's half the sport, and that's part of the fun. You know, that's... To me, it's it's much more entertaining than any other style of fishing. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you there. It, absolutely. To be able to place a fly exactly where you want it um, is such a challenge. You have so many different factors. You know, it could be the, the weather, the wind, rain. Um, you know, it could be anything involved with, with your gear. The Like we talked about the the line that you use at the end of the line, you typically have the, the, the weighted line, you have the, the leader and then you have a tippet. And at the end of that, of course you have your fly and all that, you know, has to be placed correctly to get the fly right where you want it. And if any of that decides to go one way or the other and, and, or, or you know, who knows what, it makes it quite challenging. Now, when you do get your fly, you know, if you're, if you got 30 feet of line out and it just seems like once you get into that rhythm and you hit one spot, for some reason, that muscle memory or your brain does something and boom, it's like you have it, you're in the zone and you know, your next 10 casts or so are just like perfect. Then (laughs) for whatever reason, there's always something it seems like that gets into me at least and I think about it, or or something happens, and then I'm you know back to oh geez you know slapping the water again. All right. Well, that's that's me. <laughs> Absolutely, Daniel. I mean, he can put it where he wants it most of the time. Yeah. I mean, the vast majority of the time, he he doesn't miss much. But yeah, man, for awesome. for me, it's it's just exactly what you said. <laughs> it's like, oh, that worked. Do it again. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes it happens. That's oh, I know fun. it's crazy. And yeah, I've been doing, like I said, I've been doing this for, you know, 35, 40 years and, and, you know, maybe it's just me, I'm not talented or something, but (laughs) I, I still struggle with, with, with finding the, that perfect cast with the heavy stuff. Now, you know, a lighter rod, like a three weight rod with a a little tiny, um, you know, 20, 20 weight fly on the end of it. Yeah, no problem. But these bigger you know, my nine foot rod, um, like five weight when I'm throwing a, a pretty big bass lure, it's difficult. It really is. Um, and that's part of the challenge is to not have the lure hit the water so hard that it spooks the fish (laughs) in a wrong way. You want it to hit the water and then excite them, not freak them out. Like, you know, aliens are landing on them or something. (laughs) And if you catch one, then for sure they think they've been abducted. Yeah, exactly. I wonder that. Yeah, what do they think about that when they you know, get pulled out of the water and sent back in to tell their buddies what happened? Exactly. Well, hey, tell us a story about one of these fishing trips with your dad. I, I really want to hear what it was like as a kid to go into the wilderness and the yeah. experiences that you had. One in well, actually a couple real quick. One where we went into um, the eastern Sierras, 
with a guide, uh, Ralph Cutter. And I think that trip was back in the 80s. Uh, is a mule trip. So we packed in. I think we are gone for about five or six days. Hit a bunch of small lakes and streams. And it was a teaching learning, you know, fishing trip where during the day he was taking us, the guide was taking us to areas um, and helping us, you know, select the flies. And then the evenings, it was, if we wanted those of us, it was a, a fly time. So sitting around the campfire um, and, you know, showing how to, how to, how to uh, tie flies uh, out in the you know out on the in the on the campsite um and that was the first time i on the trip uh caught a golden trout which was mm. pretty awesome so get to mark that one off now one particular trip that my dad and i planned for you know all year it was up we were going to take a pack animals into yellowstone and fish one of the rivers we were fishing was the pelican river and we had hired a guide uh like I said, planned all year for it, you know, can't wait for school to get out. This was back in the 80s again. And, you know, get up there. We had, I think it was two days in. Um, the first night, it hailed on us, rained on us. We didn't get to fish. Um, and we, you know, spent most of the time in the in the tents and, and just trying to keep dry. The second day, we had made it to the Pelican River um, as the, the guide and, and, and his hand were setting up the, the campsite. My dad and I went down to the, to the river and started fishing. And a just beautiful, beautiful fish, brooks and rainbows and browns and, you know, nice, nice, beautiful area, big meadow. And I would say probably after... In my mind, I'm thinking an hour, might have been shorter, longer. Park rangers show up on horseback and ask us what we're doing. And we're saying, oh, we're fishing. Say, well, you can't fish here. You're about a week early. The fishing season on this this river doesn't open for another week. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So the guide screwed up. He didn't check his schedule or he didn't check something. And that was our whole fishing trip was to be on that on that river so we were done um for the most part and had to had to have pack it in and and you know head back luckily the guide was really cool and and uh his boss knew of some private lakes up in the hills that that they took us to so the story didn't end terribly bad but the point of it was uh you know we had planned all year long to fish this river but we didn't check to see you know exactly when the season opened we assumed the guide knew that was his job but he didn't uh and so we we didn't get to fish like we wanted to unfortunately <laughs> uh so yeah always 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 check the rivers streams lakes wherever you're at make sure you understand the the season you know the 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 area that you're fishing in may be barbless maybe um you know, all kinds of different regulations, how many can keep or not keep or whatever. So that's really important to understand when you're out and about, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Had you gone and had it been the correct season and had you fished and not caught a thing, the fact of the matter is you still went 
mm-hmm. and you, you went into an amazing area and you got to yeah. be out there and see the beauty of it and, and do something. And and we still talk about that trip as one of our favorites, which in a strange way, because the first night when we were there, we thought a 747 was flying over us out in the middle of nowhere in, in Yellowstone Park. And it, you know, it might have been a tornado or something. I don't know. It was the craziest sound ever heard. The the next night when we made it to the Pelican, um, uh, you know, when we were sleeping there that night, we had buffalo roaming around our tents and eating along our, our tent line and everything. I mean, it's <laughs> experiences like that are just, you'll never forget them. And then when, when the trip was over, uh, or, you know, fishing the, the yellow or fishing in the Yellowstone or in Yellowstone Park, uh, we still had the opportunity to go fishing some small lakes um, that we never would have been to or never would have thought to go to or, or to try and just had a great time. So, you know, you're absolutely right. It, it's just being there and doing it and all that is just is part of the adventure and part of the fun for sure. Well, and that's what adventure is. It's not what you planned. It's what happens when you planned other things that makes the adventure an adventure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about warm water fly fishing because, you know, I, I kind of baited all of our listeners with that at the <laughs> beginning. I think a lot of people don't think of fly fishing in warm water settings, but it's becoming a thing now. And you're yeah. telling me that it's just a ton of fun. It is. You know, here in, here in Texas is a perfect example because it is warm here in, in Texas and the waters get quite warm. There's, I'd say there's three different styles of, of fly fishing in three different waters, right? You have the rivers and creeks and streams um, as one. You have lake fishing and you have pond fishing. So many ponds around central Texas. Most of them are privately owned, but, you know, become friends with a landowner and access is, is pretty easy to get. The the stream fishing and the, the river fishing in in Texas, um, yeah, it's nothing like uh, in the in the Rockies or or the the Sierras. Obviously, very different. The the water being warm has different styles of fish. You know, your bass, your your sunfish, bluegill, um, and you know, catfish and 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 such. But the bass and the bluegill are some of the funnest fish to catch on a fly rod. The the closest river to us is the, the Brazos, and it winds its way from up by Possum Kingdom down to the coast uh, by by Houston. And right in between where we're at, there is a stretch below Whitney. It's probably eight miles or so. You can kayak it, uh, canoe it, wade it. Um, but the fish in there, the the whites and the 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 smallmouth and the largemouth bass are just super fun to catch on a fly rod and they're it's pretty easy to catch them you only need a few different style of 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 flies um the woolly booger which everybody fly fish knows of the uh, popper which is a very common um topwater and a streamer like a klaus or minnow if you have those three flies you're going to catch fish on on the river. That's the 
probably the biggest river around or, or, or creek or whatever. Um, there's lots of little creeks that flow into to the lakes around here. We have the, the Bosque. There's three branches, the south, middle, and north. And kayaking or, or wading up through those, you'll find pools that only have to be, you know, two feet deep. And they're going to have a, have a handful of bass or, or bluegill in them. Um, little creeks that flow through subdivisions and through areas that have been developed, people overlook them, but they can be a super fun way of getting out and, and catching sunfish. There's one particular one nearby here that, that goes right by our house and then down behind the high school here. And never see anybody fishing it, but there are tons of six inch to smaller uh, sunfish, you know, uh, pumpkin seeds, bluegills, red ears, all those different hybrids, warmouths. I mean, just every type of sunfish you can think of probably lives in that little stretch. And catching them on a fly rod is not the only way to catch them, but is probably the easiest because you can deal with such little flies that they're interested in and it's it's year round i you know the water's flowing year round and those fish are moving year round they're active year round i don't think there's been a month that we haven't maybe december or january just because we're too cold to go out but for the most part um you can go out and catch a fish anytime here in in central texas now, of course, springtime and in the beginning of summer, the fish are are so active that you know it, it's hard to keep them off the <laughs> off the lines. But um, for the rest of the year, absolutely, whenever you want to go out and and catch a fish, you can. And again, with fly fishing, you have you it opens up more opportunities. I think because you can deal with little tiny flies to catch the little fish. So. Yeah, that's that's the basics of it, Curtis. I, I I encourage anyone that that is interested in 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 fly fishing to try it around their their home or or, or a, an area near their home. A lot of cities have parks that have ponds, and you know you check with the the local city manager, but most likely they'll let you fish in them. And it's a great place to try fly fishing and to start fly fishing up in. Where my my oldest son lives in Plano, um, there's several ponds right near his house that, you know, you, you see people playing soccer and catching frisbee and flying kites all around, but hardly ever see people fish in the ponds. And there's fish in them, and we've caught them. You know, uh, it's it doesn't have to be you know hike ten miles into the wilderness, which is fun. It can be you know ride your your ten speed down to the local local pond and 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 have a blast too that's neat i keep coming back to bluegill in my mind i mean i can't imagine having a big bass on a fly rod i know that would be fun oh yeah but the reason i keep coming back to the bluegill is because that's what i fished for as a kid in the streams where i grew up and i just can't imagine i've never caught a bluegill on a fly rod but i think it would be a blast to yeah. be able to to do that, they they're just such a different fish. Very aggressive, and man, they're fighters. Yes. It doesn't take oh. a big one to put up a huge fight. It would blow your mind when, after you know pulling it in. That wow, that little fish put up that fight. What? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And, you know, Curtis, some of the, some of the, the ponds around here, the, the bluegill get huge. Um, you know, a, a, a full one pound bluegill, you'll think you have a 10 pound trout on. I mean, they <laughs> right. are crazy aggressive. Um, yeah, with all the, there's so many different kinds of, of sunfish or bluegill. And the, I think the, the, the ones that, I, they're all interesting to catch, without a doubt. And some of the, the little ones, the ones that are, you know, four inches, three inches, two inches long, um, they're so colorful. And it, it's, like a, it's like an aquarium fish. You know, when you, when you look at them and study them, they're just absolutely beautiful. And like I said, they're aggressive. They're, they're not like, you know, some fish that will, will get on and just go straight to the bottom and lay there and you just reel them in. I mean, they fight. I, you know, you think of, of, of a big largemouth dancing out of the water trying to, trying to spit the lure out of his mouth or something. I've, I mean, I've actually seen a little bluegill just sail out of the water. You know, <laughs> just, you know, two or three feet out of the water just going, going nuts trying to get the fly out of their mouth or whatever it is. And yeah, it's, it is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Bingate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tech.com or retailers near you.
Well, John, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. Yep. You do work for Tyga Coolers. That's right. And that's Tyga Coolers is spelled T-A-I-G-A. And I'm always jealous when I, I find someone like you who gets to work for such a, a cool outdoor-focused company. But Tyga Coolers, they make high-end coolers for people that want to use coolers for fishing and all that other kind of stuff. Tell us about that. Tyga Coolers, like you said, they're high-end, up to seven-day ice retention, three inches of, of R5 insulated foam blown into them. So, they're, I mean, they're, they're very, very high-end coolers. And the purpose of them was to go after the guides and, you know, guys that are going out on their, on their boats for, for several days and need ways to keep, you know, your beer and other things cold for a long period of time. Um, they're not an igloo cooler. They are a, a very uh, high-quality, durable, um, super-strong cooler. And the, the neat thing about these particular coolers or, or Taiga coolers are that you can customize them. So let's say you, you, have, you, know, you have a business and you want to promote your brand or your, your storefront or whatever it is, and you have your certain colors that you want. We can match any color you can think of for the coolers and in the outside, the lid, the interior, any of it can be custom colors. We also have the ability on the front of the cooler to emboss your logo. So it's not just like a decal. It's actually molded into the front of the cooler, whatever logo saying, whatever it is that you want, we can put that into the front of the cooler. So they're great promotional items. And besides that, they're, they're great for the, the adventure seeker who needs a way to keep their, their food and drinks cold for you know, up to seven days. Seven days. So the coolers I always used when I would go out like car camping or something, mm-hmm. it was like the seven-hour cooler, right? <laughs> so you put everything in there and you say, okay, we're going to eat anything that spoils first right? because it's not going to keep... But I love this. We have a lot of uh, river runners that have been on the show that, that do extended trips. You're talking about keeping a steak good for up to seven days and, and having steak on the last night of the river. There you go. I mean, that, that is awesome. Absolutely. What about the, the mule guides, the guys that are pack muling in? Same story. Same story. And again, these coolers aren't, they're not lightweight coolers. I mean, it's not something that you're going to, you know, you and your buddy carry up 30 miles into the wilderness by hand. I mean, that's not what they're meant for. They're meant to, like you said, be, be packed in or, or, you know, be part of your gear when you're, when you're driving in, but yeah, put it on the side of a mule with the 27 or 55 quart, put the steak on the bottom, beer on top of that, nice on top of that. And <laughs> you're good. The, tw- the other side kind of nice about like the 27 quart, which is a little smaller size cooler. It's perfect for like your stand up paddle boarders you know strap it down fasten it to the board it's a great for a seat and then you have the storage you put rod holders on the sides you can put you know other storage attached to the cooler on it you can put a swivel seat on it put a bench seat on it put a recliner on it whatever you wanted but it's it's tough enough that you can you know stand on it sit on it and it's locks and seals so if you do tip things over, tip the board over or something, you're not gonna you're not gonna lose what's inside of it, or you're not gonna get water gushing in and, and ruining maybe what you what you had inside of it either. 
you know, I'm thinking about all of our canoers out there. Yes. Son and I, we have a two-man canoe, and that's what we bring with us is the 27 quart. You know, you can be out on the on the river, on the lake all day long and have enough water and food and supplies in the in the cooler for sure or they fit nicely behind you know some of these these little bit wider kayaks especially a fishing kayak they're they're perfect for for right behind the seat you can strap them in so these things are the real deal it's what i like about them something you can depend on Mm -hmm. you can stand on it's going to take the abuse and it's going to keep your food cold for a long long time that's right um, the bigger coolers were somewhat also designed for your hunters who, you know, maybe they're packed in a, a couple days in and are able to, you know, need a, a way to bring the meat back. The bigger coolers are perfect for that. You have an 88 quart that's pretty big and can obviously hold quite a lot of, of meat in it. But there's a big variety in here. Yeah, all kinds of variety. I mean, um, but again, I think for the coolers that the biggest, you know, difference from us, from others, is just our ability to to customize them. I'm just kind of laughing here. I'm looking at your 88-quart Tyga cooler, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, you mentioned sport teams. I was just thinking, that's the cooler to dump on the coach when you win the game, right there. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's Absolutely. 22 gallons. Holy cow. Yeah, that is a monster. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, you think about, you know, that can hold, what, 96 cans? and and ice and and with it you know the the again it, it's the cooler itself is, is not light they're not meant to be light they're they're heavy duty and uh, you know have a purpose to them they're they're designed okay, well yeah we didn't even talk about that they're made here in texas so that's a u.s you know 100 usa made product um you know there's a lifetime warranty on them it wayne, wayne often says that you know if something's wrong with it send it back and no questions asked you know and, Unless you tell us that you're trying to shoe an elephant on it or something like that, we're going to question it. But you know, otherwise, yeah, there's we'll replace it without any question. So, now that's cool. Tyga Coolers was kind enough to offer a special for the Adventure Sports listeners. What is that, and how can they find more information? Yeah, so for more information, go on to the website, which is uh, tigacoolers.com. We are going to offer free shipping on any single item. Um, as long as you give us the code fish taiga, so that's F I S H T A I G A, and like I said, we'll give you free shipping on on any item. But yeah, go on to the website www.tigacoolers.com and check everything out. We got everything on there to look at, and got any questions or shoot us a, an email or give us a call. I'd like to to get back to the fly fishing just a little bit. As we close out the show here, why would you encourage people to take up fly fishing as an activity? Oh, yeah, lots of lots of reasons. But I think narrowing it down, it gets you out on the creeks. Um, it it allows you. It's a sport that it's it's not meant just for meat fishing. You know, just to go out and and bring home dinner. It it's a sport that that kind of gets inside of you and, and stays there it's it you think about it all the time there's there's you plan for it all the time it's something that you can do wherever you go if you're going on a business trip if you're going on vacation somewhere it, it you know salt water fresh water 
it doesn't matter. You can fly fish anywhere. And, and like we've seen you can fly fish when the temperature of the water is, you know, in the 90s. Fish are still there and fish are still biting. There's also the other side of it that we really didn't talk much about is in fly tying, you know, designing and creating your own flies. Um, it, you know, there are people that don't fly fish that just tie flies. Right. You know, and it was kind of crazy to think of, but, but you know, hey, it, it's, there's an art to it. And there's, there's something about going out and watching a fish eating something eating some type of, you know, whether it's a, uh, a fly or a, or a midge or something or a streamer or, 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 I mean, another bait fish or something, and then going home and trying to, to imitate that and take it back and presenting it to him and seeing if he'll, he'll go for it. So, so many different ways to get involved into fly fishing, and, you know, there's really no reason why you shouldn't. I think that you kind of nailed it there. It's vast. It's not a shallow sport. This is one that you can do for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get better at it every time you go out. But it's it's not automatic. It takes skill development. And yeah. then there's the fly tying, and there are all the different types of flies and the different different types of fishing. You can nymph, you can streamer fish, you can dry fly fish, you can wet fly fish, you can do a dry drop, dropper, you can, I mean, there's yeah. so many different ways oh, yeah. that you can present the fly to the, to the fish. It's just like, it's kind of like the never ending sport, really. It really is. Yeah. It, it doesn't ever end. It seems like that, that's, that's a very good way to put it. I mean, I, I, every year I plan for something new and different this year. Um, and, and I'm already planning for next year. I, I, next year, I want to learn how to catch the alligator or the long-nosed gar. Um, see, them, see them in the rivers here all the time. I know there are people that fish for them, but I don't, I'm not interested in, in the typical kind of um, snaring them in a way, the way they typically fish for them. I want to figure out a way to, to fly fish for them. So, <laughs> and, and to do it successfully, you know, um, without hurting the fish. So that is going to be something I'm going to work on this year and, and, and go after next year. So, yeah, every, every year there's something new to be working on. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating. What kind of a tippet would you have to use to keep them from cutting it with those teeth? That's right. So that's, that's going to be the trick. And, and you see a lot of guys that, that are regular rod and reel fishing with, with either the, you know, a steel line or a steel tippet or, or some kind of really abrasive, resistant line um almost like yarn that they wrap themselves up in um and that's how you bring them in so that's going to be part of the trick is to figure out how to how to get something that you know um and maybe it's just going to be some very very strong um um, tippet i'm not completely sure um so yeah that's what that's what i got to figure out i don't know (laughs) if you have some ideas send them my way <laughs> well it's a good illustration of how the sport never ends it, it really doesn't so yeah john thank you so much for being on the show with us today oh my pleasure curtis I, I appreciate it a lot a lot of fun thank you yeah it's always fun to talk about stuff we love isn't oh it? it is you can go on for hours <laughs> for all of our listeners out there find a sport that you love get out there have some fun
Hey, thank you so much for listening today. And if you love the Adventure Sports Podcast, will you please tell your friends? For us, that makes a world of difference. We love it. Thank you very much. Have a great day.